what we just did, this thing called worship, I recommend it every day. And um, in case you're wondering, this is not mine, but uh, I needed to accessorize today, so I brought a purse with me because I want to tell you a story. Some years ago at another church, uh, my wife Gail was involved in something in a, one of the classrooms in the education wing of the church, and I can't remember what it was exactly. It may have been a choir activity. It may have been something else, but uh, at that point, all the ladies had put their purses outside the room on the floor up against the wall, just sitting there. And because of where we were in the church and, and so forth, no one worried about it. Nothing had ever happened before. Nobody had ever done anything until uh, on a Wednesday night, a young man came into the church, and some people had noticed him, had spoken to him, and then when some men were in the hallway and their backs were turned, he grabbed a purse and beelined it out the door. And they turned just in time to see him leaving. Not sure whose purse they got. Turned out it was my wife's purse. And, um, and being the uh, athletic type that I am, I decided I was going to try to chase him down. So I ran out of the building. He had several minutes head start, so I didn't even know where he was until I kind of left the parking lot, turned the corner of the building, and there he was, walking up the sidewalk in front of me. He didn't have the purse, but I recognized him from the description that the men had given me, and I said, hey! To which he promptly turned around and ran the other way. And I still wasn't able to catch him. But as he ran away, a uh, local uh, city police vehicle pulled up and said, uh, said, Pastor, what happened? I told him. He said, hop in the car. And we proceeded to give chase. Now I had an advantage. And, uh, but we couldn't find him. And we looked and we searched and we couldn't locate him. And so we had to go through the whole process when someone steals your purse of, of uh, protecting your identity. Because with that theft of her credit cards and her license and all of that, uh, he could have taken advantage of her. And so we did. We did all of that. Uh, but he had stolen her identity. And there's a little bit more to the story. I'll tell the rest of it uh, at the end of the sermon. So you know when I grab the purse, we're almost done. And, um, but, uh, but that identity theft was a problem. Now, in the passage of Scripture that we're studying today, we have been studying in the book of Colossians now for several weeks. And in chapter 2 of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is warning us about a form of Christianity that is not the real deal. It is toxic. It doesn't work. It is false. And so last week we had looked at several aspects of this poisonous kind of a church, these markers. And they involved, for example, doing things like taking the Bible and putting your reason over the Bible. Not setting the Bible over you, but setting your reason over the Bible and so you can kind of pick and choose what you believe or what's true or what's not true. We saw last week as we, as we looked at those different markers of, of a poisonous church that there are man-made rules, human traditions that we need to watch out for. And there's, overall, there's a focus on what you need to do for God or to manage God as opposed to what Jesus has already done. And when we came to the end of that passage in Colossians 2 verse 10, 
He says, and you are complete in him. You have an identity in Christ, and that identity has provided for you everything that you need to walk with God and to have a life as a believer. You are complete in him. Well, the toxic teachers don't want you to know your identity in Christ. They, want, they don't want to know. They don't want you to know who you really are and what your privileges are as a child of God. And so there are certain things they don't want you to know. But the biggest thing is this, that you are complete in him. Now that phrase, in him, is used over 70 times in the writings of the Apostle Paul. It's one of his most favorite and powerful phrases. 16 times he uses it in Colossians. Because that's the core of your identity. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. So what is it that the toxic teachers don't want you to know? Well, there are a couple of things in this passage. First, in him, your old relationship to sin has been removed. In him, your old relationship to sin has been removed. You say, well, what, what does that mean? Well, look at verse 11, Colossians 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now that's a clue right away. Because whatever this circumcision is, it's not a physical thing. It's something that you can't see. It's done without hands. And he goes on and says, By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. So that's telling you what happened. Something was removed from you. And we're going to come back and look at that. And then he tells you who did it. By the circumcision of Christ. That's who did it. That's who took this thing away from you. And then he tells you how it was done. Buried with him in baptism. It's through your union with Christ. Christ in you and you in Christ that your old relationship to sin has been removed. Now, he talks about circumcision. This was a common practice then and now, and I'm not going to show pictures or get into kind of graphic detail. It's not that kind of sermon. But it was a common practice on the eighth day that Hebrew boys would be circumcised. But he is taking that common practice and he's making an uncommon application. He is talking about the removal of the body of flesh or another way of saying it would be the sinful, fleshly body. Now, obviously, he's not talking about a physical body, so what is being removed? What has been taken away from you because you're in Christ? Well, one of the best ways to understand a word like this body of flesh or body of sin of flesh or, is to look elsewhere in Paul's writings and see if he ever used the word body in a similar way. Let Scripture interpret scripture is a principle of Bible study. Let the Bible speak for itself, and the Bible can explain itself pretty well if we'll let it. And so is there a passage that helps us understand this concept of a body that has been removed from you? Well, yes, there is. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. This is what I want you to see. Paul's writing, he says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now notice Paul 
first in verse 6 speaks of you and I being crucified or buried with him. This is not a figure of speech. When he says that you were crucified with Christ, he is talking about something that really happened to Jesus, and he says you experienced it with him. You say, well, I don't remember that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was crucified, and Paul is saying that 2,000 years ago, there is a very real sense, not figuratively speaking, a very real sense in which you were there. You were crucified with Christ. You were buried with Christ, and you were raised from the dead with Christ. Now, if that's a little mind-boggling to you, it is to me as well. This is amazing, but it's true. That when you were saved, when you put your trust in Christ, He took your life and He merged your life with the life of Christ in such a way that the things that are true of Jesus in relation to sin, the things that are true of Jesus in relationship to His access to the Father, the things that are true of Jesus in relationship to this world have now become true of you. So when he uses the word body of sin in Romans 6, he's using it in that same way here in Colossians 2. There's a relationship with sin that has stopped, that has changed, that is no longer the same. And that's what he's describing here. So looking at Romans 6, since it's the thing that's helping us understand Colossians 2, there are three characteristics of the old relationship to sin. These are things that if you're a Christian are no longer true of you, but it was true of your past before Christ. First of all, in the old relationship, number one, you are born a sinner. You are born a sinner. He says again in verse 6 of Romans, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now the old man refers to your old, sinful, rebellious self. You said, well, I didn't know I had that. Yeah, you had that. From the moment that you were born, you were born with a predisposition to sin. You inherited that predisposition. If you don't believe that, if you're a mom and dad, you know it's true. The first time that child looks up at you, that two-year-old, and says, no, you've got to scratch your head and ask yourself, who has been coaching this child to say that? Well, no one did, because that child was born as a sinner with a predisposition to sin. And, and they don't sin and become a sinner. They are born or constituted a sinner from day one. That part of you is what you will do naturally as you grow up. It comes naturally. It's what automatically comes out. And he's saying that part of you, that old relationship to sin that you inherited, has been cut away, it has been removed, it has been circumcised. So in that old relationship to sin, you were born a sinner. In that old relationship, secondly, you are a slave to sin. Without Christ, you're a slave. In verse 6, again of Romans 6, he says, Our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So if you're a slave of sin, that means you belong to sin, you're owned or possessed by sin, you're directed by sin. 
Freedom is an illusion for the non-Christian. You say, well, I'm free. I'm, I'm not mas- mastered by anyone. I do what I want to do. I take care of what I want in life. I pursue the things that I want. No one's in charge of me. But see, you are conforming to your desires. You're conforming to what you want. And that is the very nature of the mastery of sin. Is you living life without God, without reference to God, doing what you want instead of what He has made you for. You're not only a rebel, but you're a slave, and your master is sin without Christ. And Jesus cut that away. That relationship has changed. Sin is no longer your master. There's a third thing that has changed. In the old relationship with sin, you are a sinner until you die. You are a sinner until you die. In Romans 6, 7, it says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. So without Christ... Without being united with him in his burial, his death, his resurrection, without that, you will live your entire life as a rebel and a slave to your sinful desires. It's inevitable. It's because we were united with Christ in death. When you die, everything changes. Your relationship to this world changes. So Paul says, when you have been circumcised from the body of the sins of the flesh, that's his language in Colossians 2. It's kind of hard to understand. But he's saying, what has been cut away, what has been removed is this old relationship to sin. How did it happen? It happened because you were united in the, when, when Jesus was crucified, you were crucified. Now, when God says this about you, If you're a Christian, you put your trust in Christ, and God says that sin is not your master, you've got to believe that. In fact, in Romans 6, he says, reckon it so. He says, count it to be true. If you don't decide as a believer that that's true about you, if you don't let what God says be the truth about you, you can't even begin to fight and overcome sin in your life. So there's certain things you've got to believe are true. And one of these is that your old relationship has changed. How am I different because I am in him? What is it that I need to believe about myself if I'm going to have the kind of identity that Jesus has created for me? Well, first, you need to believe that you are not bound to repeat the sins of previous generations. Some of you, you think back to your dad or your grandfather, your mom or your grandmother, and you say, you know, that's the way he was, that's the way she was, that's the way I have to be. Not true. Not so. My dad was married five times. My grandfather was a product of a broken home. His parents divorced in 1912. You can go back five generations in my family after me. My father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and so forth. Every one of those relationships was a broken dream, broken homes, broken lives, divorce, infidelity. It was so bad, my dad passed away a couple years ago, and he married five times. If he had lived, he would have married a sixth and a seventh and an eighth time. I really believe that. Wife number four, when their marriage was breaking up, 
I was talking to her on the phone. She said, Don, here's what she said. Don, your dad is simply not marriage material. Now, I could listen to that, and I could look at my dad, my grandfather, my great-grandparents. I could look at that, and I could say, you know, I get tempted. I'm tempted to do this or that. It's just something I inherited. It's something I'm predisposed to because of what I received through my, my family line. And so I could justify going out and doing and being like them. But the truth about me, the truth about you, is that that has been cut away. And you are not bound to repeat the sins of your parents. Last Thursday, Gail and I celebrated 32 years of marriage. And I think it's going to work out if I watch my step. You are not bound to repeat the sins of previous generations. Number two, you are not bound to repeat the sins of your life without Christ. Some of you think about your past before Jesus and you think of the worst things that you have done and it hangs over you like a cloud all the time. You know in your head that you've been forgiven, but you don't feel it in your heart. And there's always this sense in you that this is who you are. I'm the one that's messed up. I'm the one that's, that, that failed. I'm the one that's black on the inside. Everybody else is right and good. But Paul said the old you is gone. crucified and buried. You are not doomed to repeat your past. There's something else you need to believe about yourself, and and that's that you are not bound to your present sinful impulses. Some of you have thought to yourself many times, more times than you can count, I've tried and I just can't stop. This is who I am. This is who I always be. And you sort of settle down with a particular temptation or sin problem, and you're you're just... Determined that's the only way you can ever be. And yet the truth about you is that because you have been crucified with Christ, buried with Him, raised with Him, God's Word says you should no longer be a slave of sin. You know what that means? That means it's possible for you to say no. It's possible for you to change. Because he has cut away that old relationship. Sin is no longer your master. You should no longer be a slave to sin. In June and July, as we explore chapters 3 and 4, we will see practically how do you work that out. How do you take your identity in Christ, which is done, finished, and accomplished, and received as a gift, how do you take your identity in Christ and apply it in daily life? And that's what we'll explore. So, you have a new identity. The toxic teachers will not teach you this. They'd rather you not know this. Your old relationship with sin has been removed, but there's another part of your identity. And that's this. Secondly, in him, your worst enemies have been defeated. In him, your worst enemies have been defeated. Did you know that you had enemies? I'm not talking about flesh and blood kind. But you have enemies of your soul that are deadly and that you could not defeat. But Jesus Christ has defeated the enemies of your soul. Look at verse 12 and listen to what Paul says. You're buried with him in baptism. And then he says, in which you also were raised with him. How? Through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's that 
the old relationship to sin, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And that's plural. What does that mean? Every single sin. Every single sin forgiven. Verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. In him, you possess complete and total victory over the enemies of your soul. What are those enemies? First, Jesus defeated the enemy called spiritual death. Spiritual death. In verse 13, he says, And you, talking to the people at Colossae, these new Christians, he said, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Now, he is not saying that you were born and then you grew up and you made some bad decisions and you progressively got worse and worse, and then you died because of your sin. He's not saying that. He's saying that you were dead. From day one, you were dead. When you were born, you were spiritually dead. It was already a fact. You were spiritually cut off from God. You had no connection to Him, no way to to hear Him, to know Him. There are a lot of people in the world, and you're saying that they're all dead? They look to be Alive to me. Athletes, vital, young, powerful. They look alive. Scholars, brilliant, with great ideas. The ability to make discoveries. You're saying they're dead? Actresses, actors, personalities. They appear to be full of life. Are they really dead? Yes. And you can tell it. They're blind to the truth of Jesus Christ. They're deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They have no love for God. They are completely unresponsive to Him, just like a corpse. They are dead. And when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus made you alive. That part of you that was cut off from God, He defeated that. And now you have life in Christ. When He was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. Just as he has complete access to the Father, we're going to see it in chapter 3, you have complete access to the Father 24-7. He defeated death. Secondly, the other enemy of your soul Jesus defeated is a sin debt. You have a sin debt that's an enemy of your soul. He says in verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. That phrase is like an IOU promising to pay a debt, a promissory note in modern terms. And he says that when you sin, you create a debt against someone you've sinned against, against God, whatever the case may be. Now notice in verse 14, not only do you owe a debt, but this debt is a threat to you. He says this was against us. It was contrary to us. This handwriting requirements It was against us. It was contrary to us. It posed a real threat. You know, when I'm in debt, when you're in debt financially, you know, usually there's light at the end of the tunnel. 
Now, some of y'all may not see that light, but it's conceivable that some way or other you could get out of debt. This is not that kind of debt. The threat of this that is against you, he says, is that you could die with this kind of debt and owe this debt for all eternity. That if Jesus did not deal with your sin debt, you would spend eternity owing a debt you could never repay. That's the hell of hell. And then we see again in verse 14 that he has taken it out of the way. What did he take away? The debt. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He wiped away your debt. He canceled your debt. What you owed for your sins, he nailed it to the cross. He paid the price. Whatever penalty was incurred, he took it on himself. He defeated the enemy of your soul called sin debt. And that's why we sing the hymn. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Jesus has defeated the enemies of your soul. Spiritual death, sin debt, but there's a third one, scheming demons. He has defeated scheming demons. In verse 15, he says, having disarmed, principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it now Hollywood wants you to be afraid of Satan and demons they make him as scary as he can possibly be made to look and if you're not a Christian you have every reason to be afraid of Satan you say why is that pastor because there are passages in scripture like 1 John 5 19 that say this We know that we are of God. Those of us that know Christ, have trusted Christ, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 1 John 5, 19. So yeah, without Christ, you have every reason to be afraid of Satan. The Bible says he's influencing you. He's influencing your decisions. He's influencing your life. He can do with you almost anything he wants to do. But when you know Christ, he's been defeated. He can't touch you. Whatever influence and rights the devil had to you was broken the moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. It ends at death. And in him, when he died, you died. We are engaged in a war with a defeated devil. He is doomed. The outcome has already been decided. It is in your favor. You are not living your life as a Christian moving towards victory. You already have victory. And you're called to live your life with that sense of a very real victory of Jesus. So Jesus has defeated the enemies of your soul. They found Gail's purse the next day. They caught that guy that night after we had canceled all the cards The purse was found under a house. When he didn't find the cash in it, he just tossed it under a house about a block from the church. And they got that purse out, and everything was in there. Her credit cards, her driver's license, and more importantly, some pictures of the kids that that were only in her purse. And, And so they found it. Her identity was not stolen, and they got the guy, okay? 
Now, identity theft is when you take someone else's identity and you take it away from them, usually against their will. But the Lord Jesus Christ gives you his. He gives you his identity. You don't have to steal it from him. He gives it to you willingly. I read a story this week about a man named Salvador who was a spy decades ago from Cuba living in Miami. And he was spying on the American government on behalf of the Cuban government. But in his commingling with Cuban nationalists in Miami, his heart changed. And he respected and fell in love with who they were and the vision of a free Cuba. And so he changed sides. He went to the American government and he said, I'm ready to change sides. And so what did our government do? Well, they welcomed him. And knowing that Cuba would try to kill him, knowing that because he had changed sides, they would try to hurt him, the American government gave him asylum. They, they gave him a new life. They gave him a new name. They even faked his death so that the Cuban government thought he was dead. And do you know that when you trust Christ, the death isn't faked? When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, Christ is in you. You are in Him. You are in Christ. You are in union with Him spiritually. And because of that, when He was crucified and He was buried and He was raised, so were you. And what was true of Jesus and what's true of Jesus right now is now true of you. Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Without Him, we have no hope. With Him, we can't lose. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. When you came this morning here to the church, I don't know why you came, but I wonder if God has spoken to your heart about your relationship to Him. The Bible tells us that Jesus came into this world as the Son of God, but He chose to live life as an ordinary human being. Though He was the Son of God, He had to depend on the Father just like you and I have to depend on God. Jesus said everything that He said and everything that He did was in obedience to the Father. He depended on the Father. And when He died on the cross, the Bible tells us that He bore our sins in His body on the tree. And He died for every one of your sins that you've ever committed or ever will commit because He only died one time. And so before you ever were born, He provided a way for you to be forgiven for all your sins. What he calls you and I to do is to come and surrender our life to him. To give ourselves, if you will, back to him. To come and put our trust in him completely and say, Lord, I know that without you there's no life. Without you there's no forgiveness. Without you I can't change. Without you I know I'll never fulfill the reason that you made me. Because God has a plan for you. And so this morning, if you would like to put your trust or faith in Jesus Christ, 
When we stand and sing, I would invite you to slip out of the pew and come to the front. I'll be here. One of the other pastors will be here at the front. We'll be happy to talk with you, share scripture with you. You can read it for yourself. You don't have to take our word for it. You can leave here this morning literally with a new life, a new beginning, and a fresh start. So when we stand and sing, we invite you to come. Maybe you've been visiting for a while and you know this is where God wants you to plant your life as a member. And you want to present yourself for membership. We invite you to come. We'll explain to you how a person becomes a member here at Wynn Baptist Church. Or maybe you just need to pray. The altar's open. These steps. Sometimes it helps when you're praying for someone or praying for yourself or you've got a burden just to come and pray for a few minutes at the front and then go back to your seat. As God has spoken to you, will you use this time to worship Him? Father, we're grateful to you for your word. We thank you for the new life that is ours in Christ, for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ for the ability to be free from sin that is ours in Christ. We thank you. And Lord, for that person who's ready to trust you, may they know the touch of your Holy Spirit in their life right now. May they sense you drawing them. May they say yes to your call. For we pray in Jesus' name.